Primary Care Knowledge Boost Podcast 2 Abnormal Liver Function Tests. Hello and welcome to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. I'm Dr. Sarah McDermott. And I'm Dr. Lisa Adams. And today we're going to be talking to consultant gastroenterologist Dr. Bliss. All right, so welcome back to um, Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Um, with us today, we've got um, Dr. Bliss talking to us about gastroenterology. Um, do you mind just introducing yourself, Dr. Bliss, for the new listeners? Sure, yeah. My name is Phil Bliss. I'm a consultant gastroenterologist uh, at Wigan. I've uh, been a consultant since 2000. Most of that time spent in Wigan, but I spent about seven, eight years working in Liverpool, but returned back to work in Wigan uh, two years ago. Fantastic. So um, we're going to be talking about um, abnormal liver function tests. Um, okay. Did you find that these are quite high referral areas in secondary care? Yeah, pr- of, of, the bulk of our outpatient work is uh, reflux disease, dyspepsia, reflux and dyspepsia, irritable bowel syndrome and abnormal liver function tests. We're seeing an awful lot of patients with abnormal liver function tests now. I think as more patients are having liver function tests done in primary care, and I think we're getting a lot more sensitive to noticing small abnormalities in them. The vast majority of patients we see with abnormal liver function tests don't have serious liver disease. There's almost uh, an epidemic of what we call uh, NAFLD, non-alcoholic fatty liver yes. disease. And I would suspect that 90 to 95% of all the patients referred into us in secondary care with abnormal liver function tests have NAFLD. That's quite a high number. Yeah, there's. I suspect it reflects our changing lifestyles people become more overweight people have high cholesterol people drink a bit more than they should without necessarily having serious alcoholic liver disease but just all those factors adding together can give them a degree of fatty liver and these minor abnormalities of the liver function tests well we were going to touch on NAFLD later but we might as well speak a bit about it now that you've brought it up and so what would be the usual findings on a on a liver function profile for someone who has NAFLD you tend to see a, a minor elevation of the transaminases twice, three times the upper limit of normal. Very rare to see significant elevations of bilirubin uh, or significant elevations of of alkaline phosphatase. It's mainly sort of modest elevations of transaminases. Um, And if we've got somebody who's showing those kind of mild changes, um, what would be your first line? What would you do with those patients? Okay, well, tend to test with any patient with any abnormality of liver function tests. We do what we call a chronic liver disease screen, which screens for the more serious cause of abnormal liver function tests that we don't want to miss and that would include viral hepatitis markers hepatitis b and hepatitis c markers we check for the sort of metabolic cause of liver problems uh, mainly hemochromatosis so we check ferritin uh, in a young patient we check serialoplasmin we very very rarely see wilson's disease but if you don't do the test you won't find it out but so in under 45 you do serialoplasmin check your alpha-1 antitrypsin for other metabolic causes. Again, these are rare, small print diseases, but but important to check out for. And then you look for the uh, autoimmune liver conditions, autoimmune chronic hepatitis and primary brucerosis. And we do that by checking the autoantibody profile and an immunoglobulin profile. Right. We'd also suggest uh, checking someone's lipids because of uh, NAFLD and checking for diabetes and also celiac disease. Sometimes celiac disease can present with an isolated elevation of ALT. So that's what we call our chronic liver disease screen. And in addition to a uh, blood test, we would also suggest you do a, a scan, an ultrasound scan. And in terms of the um, the blood tests that you mentioned there, um, would you screen everybody for all of those or would you target based on symptoms? We just do it on everybody, a blanket chronic liver disease screen. 
And these are all tests that can be done in primary care. Yeah, they are, definitely. And for those patients who we only see a minor elevation in their ALT, for example, just in the in the 60s range, would you necessarily be doing full liver screens on those patients? Or is that something that you'd just monitor? Certainly, if you think of referring to, to secondary care, then I don't think you should refer to secondary care without having done a liver screen. We do have guidelines of the, of the management of abnormal liver function tests, which we often send out to, to GPs in, in the hope of guiding them with the investigator of this patient, but also to help guide their future practice so that they, they know, know what yeah. to do. And Recently, uh, there's been a, a very helpful tool called an, a NAFLD score, which you're enabled to risk stratify patients with fatty liver. So if you do your chronic liver disease screen and everything's normal, and you do an ultrasound scan and it shows they've got a fatty liver and they've, they're a bit overweight, they drink possibly more than they should, they've got slightly high cholesterol, they're most likely diagnosed that they've got NAFLD. So you can do a risk stratification score, which is based on the AST, the ALT, the albumin, the platelet count, the patient's BMI, and whether or not they've got diabetes. And that gives you a score. It's a really cumbersome score because it starts off as a minus number. Oh. Uh, and it goes a range from minus number to a positive number. And so you can have a, it can be quite confusing for people. A score of minus three is actually a good score. So it looks like a big number. So you've got a score of three, but it's actually minus three. And minus three is lower than minus two. So people, I see. And people can get confused with the minus number. So if you look at that, I mean, include the reference to do a NAFLD score on our abnormal liver function test guidelines. Yeah. So we get patients who come to clinic and we will calculate the NAFLD score. And hopefully by putting that in our letter back to GPs, patient, the GPs will be aware of this concept of the NAFLD score yes. and to risk stratify them. And if they've got a low risk of fibrosis, then we don't need to see them again. And we can probably didn't even need to see them in the first place. Uh, if they have a intermediate or high risk NAFL score, then we should be seeing them in secondary care and doing what we call a fibrous scan. So will the, um, if we do that score online, will it stratify it into the kind of low, intermediate and high for us? Yeah, I've got the little app on my phone. It's just uh, type in the numbers and, and away you go. So if they're low risk, we don't really need to do anything else no. would you monitor them in primary care at all um, or just give them the lifestyle advice identify whichever risk factor they've got they've often got more than yeah. one so look at that and then just keep an eye on things and then the higher ones will be referring on to you anyway yeah. and i suppose if you do monitor them you can always repeat the NAFL score in a year and if it goes from low risk to intermediate risk then you can refer them back and just mentioning because we've kind of touched on alt and if it's um slightly raised to do the screening yeah. things at what stage would you be worried about an alt on the day so say the results come back to us and it's a really high alt which people need to come in urgently to, to hospital with with lfts being abnormal i mean bilirubin is probably the most important abnormal of effect function test which needs urgent attention because John, this is generally a bad thing to yeah. have if you look at all the different suspected cancer referral pathways and the yield for having cancer if you've got jaundice then that's it's bad you, our yield for finding cancer in those patients is very high so anybody who's jaundice should be seen quite quickly yeah. and we do have a fast track referral system for patients with jaundice that works very Fantastic. well and um, so less worried about high alts less worried about high ALTs. brilliant especially i guess if the patient's asymptomatic it's unusual for alts to be elevated much over two or three hundred in somebody with with fatty liver disease, and it's, it's sort of getting above three hundred. And uh, hopefully that you know you would do your chronic liver disease screen. That's more suggestive of maybe autoimmune liver disease, or sometimes you get drug related liver liver injury, and that's when you tend to get ALTs in the sort of five hundreds to a thousands. ALTs over a thousand is often due to a viral hepatitis okay. or a paracetamol overdose, drug induced hepatitis. So the so the low ALTs tend to be NAFLD, possibly alcoholic liver disease. 
medium elevation of your ALT tend to be your autoimmune liver diseases mm. and anything over the thousands, think virus or, or drugs. Uh, yeah, that's useful to know as well for differentiating them. And so just thinking about bilirubin in isolation, when do you think we should be worried about a, a slightly raised elevation in, in just bilirubin alone? Isolated elevation of bilirubin is most often Gilbert's. So what I was saying about bilirubin before, so if you've got bilirubin with another abnormal of a function test, that's a worrying yep. sign. An isolated elevation of bilirubin is most likely Gilbert's syndrome, and you can do a differential bilirubin count to, to determine that. And often what you'll find is when you look back through the notes and through the records, they had an abnormal bilirubin in 2012, and again in 2006, and again in 2008, yep. you know, you know, going back through time. So you you should look at uh, the, the, the sort of trend. So an isolated elevation of bilirubin, I wouldn't be as worried about as an elevation of bilirubin in association with a raised alkaline phosphatase or a raised ALT. Um, so um, we've talked about bilirubin. So the, the main test you would do with an isolated bilirubin would be the split bili test. Do the conjugated and unconjugated bilirubin. Um, and if it's simple, um, Gilberts, we don't need to do anything with them. They don't need to come see you. No, no. We Often, this is the type of things that we get requested for on advice and guidance. We audited the, re- the different classes of referrals we got on advice and guidance, and advice on abnormal liver function tests yeah. was one of them. And that provides us with the opportunity to send back our guidelines how to manage abnormal liver function tests. And we often get an, another aspect is the, is this Gilberts? And often I can go back and say, yes, it is. And hopefully that provides the guidance and reassurance that GPs are, are looking for. Fantastic. That's really useful to have as well because it's quite a fast response from secondary care, but it means that the patient isn't in, isn't inconvenienced and doesn't have to wait for an appointment. So um, we'll talk about advice and guidance maybe at the end. And so for just an isolated raised alkaline phosphatase, how do you think in, we should be managing those? I mean, alkaline phosphatase is, is often associated with, can be raised with, with primary bilirubin can be often with biliary disease, but patients with gallstone disease will often have symptoms that go along with raised alkaline phosphatase. You can have a raised alkaline phosphatase in in NAFLD, and that's why it's good to do the full liver screen in every patient rather than target it. Because you do get overlap in abnormal liver function tests, it's important to do the full liver screen in all patients. Typically, gallstone disease is associated with slightly lower ALT and slightly higher alkaline phosphatase. Yes. But if somebody's got cholangitis from the gallstone disease, the ALT can be very high and people can get caught out. This is usually in the secondary care setting. The patients come in with very high ALT and they've got gallstones and it's because they've got cholangitis and the inflammation, the sepsis in the biliary tree drives the ALT to be very high. So there are sort of rules of thumb in terms of abnormal liver function tests, but as with all cases, rules are there to be broken, mm-hmm. and you can have slight, you know, deviations from, the, from those rules, and that's why it's good practice to do the full liver screen and imaging. If you do full liver screen and imaging, you won't go too far wrong, and you won't get caught out too often. Um, and then just moving on to the controversial gamma GT test, yeah. should we be doing this test on anybody? When is it indicated? When should we be doing it? If you took gamma GT off the set of, in fact, you don't get gamma GT on a set of liver function tests. You have to. Re- specifically requested i wouldn't bother with a gamma gt i suppose the one proviso would be if you have isolated elevation of alkaline phosphatase and you want to know is it bony alkaline phosphatase or is it hepatic alkaline phosphatase then a raised gamma gt might put you down that route of hepatic raised alkaline phosphatase. but you're probably going to do a full liver screen and, and and check them out anyway yeah an isolated elevation of gamma gt is of no real prognostic significance and i wouldn't worry too much about uh, about, that. about gamma gt I can't remember the last time I requested a gamma GT. So if we've got um, absolutely normal liver function tests, no yeah. symptoms, and this one raised gamma GT, we don't really need to be worrying about it. Fantastic. 
I think the only other question I had about the kind of liver function tests was if we have um, a normal liver screen um, and a normal ultrasound, but we still have this persistently raised, say, ALT, do we need to be referring them on or are we happy that we've covered everything with the scan? and the Most of the times, it'll, it'll, it'll generally always be fatty liver. And if you do an AFL score, that should, that should be fine. Okay, brilliant. Uh, so even if there's no changes on the ultrasound scan for the liver and we've done a, a liver screen that's reasonably normal, would we still be treating those patients as potential naffled i mean if you can always refer to advice and guidance yeah. you know if you've done a liver screen and you have done an ultrasound scan and you're not quite sure it doesn't fit but most patients they'll be a bit overweight they'll have a slightly high cholesterol or they drink 30 units a week or whatever and so you can always nearly always find something to explain it and a, a negative chronic liver disease screen is reassuring a normal ultrasound scan is reassuring good and an alt of 60 or 70 with with that wouldn't worry wouldn't worry too much Fantastic. but if in doubt send something through on advice and guidance Fantastic. it does sound like another good use of the advice and guidance system to be able to do that as well and in terms of medications causing liver function abnormalities and um, what are the big culprits in terms of medications that you, you commonly find i think the big one is statins isn't it? i think that's what gps worry a lot about and a lot of the time they have abnormal liver function tests because they've got high cholesterol and the actual treatment and is is the statin so you sort of statin and you think oh the statins caused the abnormal liver function test well it isn't it's the fatty liver that's caused the abnormal liver function test and the statin is there to treat it so i wouldn't worry i wouldn't let that put me off starting a statin in somebody who needed a statin okay brilliant that's good to know and so other than statins are there any other medications that are quite common to find causing liver abnormalities uh, we sometimes see patients with uh, antibiotic-associated abnormal function tests, and augmentin is the uh, is the classic one, and flucloxacillin they can cause cholestatic liver function tests. But I suppose that the message is that any patient with abnormal liver function tests, you need to do a drug history, yeah, because there's a long list of drugs that can cause liver problems, and just cross-reference them against your abnormal liver function test. That makes sense. And and see is there anything in there that could be causing this? Brilliant. That's great to know, Dr. Bliss. Um, and I guess that's everything for today. So thank you very much for coming and speaking to us. We do really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, and we'll see you next time whenever we meet up to do the um, irritable bowel syndrome podcast. So yeah, um, I think that was a really good um, discussion we had today, Sarah. Yeah, I really liked um, the whole thing. It was really useful just to run through um, liver screening again. Actually, it's been a while since I've thought about each of the conditions, particularly things like celiac screening there. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I um, took away most about the NAF scoring yeah. um, about how we can kind of do that ourselves in primary care and yeah. get a bit of a risk stratification to work out who should be getting referred um, and what we'll do for everybody is we'll include a link um, in the podcast description and um, telling them um, where to go to access a NAFLD score and um, that's really basic and easy to use and you can just save it to your bookmarks um, and then you'll be able to do it in the future. Yeah and um, we have mentioned quite a lot about the advice and guidance there oh, as well yes. and that was quite useful just to go through appropriate uses of it because it's still reasonably new so it's nice to know that things like liver function test questions and things that that's quite an appropriate way to use it yeah i think i definitely will be doing that more in future myself mm. and kind of linking from that with the abnormal lfts um, there are pathways that have been developed by wigan um, with regards to to how to manage abnormal lfts yes. um, now we did struggle ourselves to try and find those on the sharepoint website yeah. um, but we have asked the ccg to try and make them a little bit more um, obvious and um, so we're hoping that they're going to be in the gp section and um, with the other pathways like the ent and urology ones and um, so that's where you should be able to go and have a little read of that yeah brilliant and then the um, only other bits to talk about is how you can kind of 
feedback to us and get back in contact with us. Mm. So these are all still relatively new and we want to make sure that we're doing the best that we can and targeting the podcasts for everybody appropriately. Um, so we have done a survey. It's very quick and short. It's only going to take you five minutes. Um, we've included the link in the podcast description and we'd be really grateful if you could take the time to fill it in for us yeah. just to give us feedback. We don't really mind about the good feedback, but if you can tell us what we could do better, then we can try and make these the best podcasts that we can um, for everybody. Yeah, and even technical issues, that'd be great to know Yeah, it would well. be really useful to know that. Grace, yeah. Um, we also have uh, ways to contact us otherwise. Um, we're on Twitter at Primary Care Knowledge Boost Podcasts um, and our handle is PCKB Podcasts um, and you can email us as well. So it's primarycarepodcasts at gmail.com. Yeah, and you can contact us in any way. We're very happy to hear from everybody. Um, so I guess all that's left to say is that um, we'll look forward to seeing you all next time. Um, we're going to be, like I said, meeting up with Dr. Bliss to do irritable bowel syndrome. Um, so we'll get in touch with everybody and let you know when that's available to listen to. Um, but for now, I guess that's everything. Yes. Thank yes. you very much for listening. Thank you for listening. Till next time on Primary Care Knowledge Boost. This podcast is supported by Wrightington Wigan and Lee CCG. The information in the podcast represents the views and opinions of clinicians interviewed. Listener discretion is advised.